nothing can stop the advance of the gospel. I think you can read that on the sign behind me, can you? That's the title of this sermon, which is the latest in the series we are doing, running through the book of Acts. Who's been reading the book of Acts as a result of this series? Three of you. Can I... There's a few more than three. Put your hands up. Can I, seriously, can I encourage you to read it? It's an easy, exciting read. It's not complicated or difficult. And you will be inspired by what you read. And as the sermons come, you think, yeah, I read that myself. And you may think that God's stirring you to even be prophetic to your friends or your connect group or, or the church as a result of what he's stirring within you as you read the book of Acts. So genuinely, can I encourage you to read the book of Acts? Who hasn't got a Bible? That's a genuine question. Who hasn't got a Bible? Oh, you've lost yours again. I've given you loads of Bibles. (laughs) You can buy one now. Jim, I'll get you a Bible by the end of today. I'll give you a Bible because you're going to read it, aren't you? You will. It's, It's very important. So like I said, we've been doing a series in the book of Acts Uh, In the lead-up to this chapter 5 section we're going to look at in just a moment, the church, that early church, that embryonic church, has exploded with new growth. Um, In a matter of weeks, there were thousands of conversions. I mean, it must have been fantastic to be part of that. Marvellous miracles were happening in the name of Jesus. People began sacrificially sharing their possessions with one another, which we've heard about recently. A new kind of love was being expressed and experienced. And it says that the Lord kept adding to their number daily. Exciting times, ain't it? And then in verse 12 of chapter 5, we we read that the apostles were performing many miracles and signs and wonders. Not just a few, there was many. And all the believers were meeting together in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. You think, where's Solomon's Colonnade? Sounds like the name of a pub. It, it wasn't a pub. If you put this next slide up, let me, let me explain where Solomon's Colonnade was. Now, I don't know if you can see that behind me because this screen is notoriously rubbish. But that, that is a model of the, the temple in its heyday. Now, to give you an idea of scale, that's four times the size of the area of the sort of Windsor Castle um, curtilage, that whole area of Windsor Castle, which most of you saw on the television yesterday. That's four times the size of that. That's huge, right? And the colonnade is the bit around the back You can't really see it, but it's a columned sort of walkway and down this side. But that area is massive, right? And and that would have been a place where people gathered and met and traded and and all the rest of it. That was a huge complex where people gathered in their thousands, their temple complex. And that's where they gathered daily. You can imagine under that colonnade, probably, I, I reckon Peter stood under there in the shade and everyone else was out in the sun. But, but preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And then in verse 13, it, we, we read these words. It says, on the one hand, no one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded. But on the other hand, more and more people believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's almost like, that's an opposite, isn't it? It's a sort of paradox, isn't it? No one dared join them. The, 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 the people were added to their number. But that's how people 
responding to the gospel. And it's a bit like that with us, isn't it? As, as we proclaim the good news and as we are doing miracles in the name of Jesus, some people really get the ump and are repelled. And some people are drawn to us and get saved and added to our number even today. So more and more people are becoming followers of Jesus there in Jerusalem. The sick are getting healed, even when Peter's shadow falls on them. I mean, this is mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? Peter walks down the road, he comes out from the colonnade and out into the sun, and his shadow goes past and bang, somebody, somebody's legs are suddenly working. I mean, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? Who would like to have been there then? I would have loved to have been part of that. Yeah, do it, man. Right? And the crowds, crowds gathered in that temple area, even from towns outside of Jerusalem. They'd heard what was going on and they were coming in. And people tormented with unclean spirits were being set free. I mean, there's healing, there's salvation, there's deliverance. It's so good. It's glory. Hallelujah time. And then we get to verse 17 of Acts chapter 5. And you know there's going to be a bit of a backlash, right? So let's, let's put, I don't know if you can read that. Can you read that? I'm going to read it anyway. The font is quite small. But I'm going to read, I'm going to go through this because it's quite a long section of scripture. I'm going to do this in three sort of three or four hits, right? And then draw out a point from each of them, which we can apply to our lives today. Because we want to see that stuff, don't we? We want to see that salvation sweep through this community. We want the sick to be healed and demons to flee. We want the church to grow and be powerful, don't we? Well, hopefully we'll learn a little bit from this passage from Acts chapter 5. So I'm going to read from verse 17 and finish this section at verse 25. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Just to say the Sadducees were, were part of the Jewish ruling class. Uh, they were members of the priesthood and they made up a good percentage of that, that Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, which you're going to hear mentioned a few times. And although they were quite small in number, they were very influential they were well-educated. They were usually wealthy. They were like, the, I suppose, a bit of the elite of the day. So that's, that's who the Sadducees were. They had certain beliefs. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, for one thing, which brought a bit of a clash with the believers who did. Um, so verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Now, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. I'd love to have been there when this happened. But on arrival at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. Um, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. I bet they were. Then someone came and said, 
Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts. It doesn't say again, but that's what it is. They're there again. They're standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with these officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. They're scared a little bit, aren't they? My first point from that passage is miraculous intervention. Nothing can stop the advance of the gospel. And if someone does try, then God will intervene miraculously. It doesn't get much more miraculous than sending an angel to open prison doors, does it? You know, in verse 17, it says the high priests were furious at the apostles for continuing to preach the, the gospel. They rounded them up and put them in jail. Now, it's, it's serious. If you imagine it, if this is you, you're down the blue and God has compelled you to go and preach the gospel. And then suddenly the, the old bill turn up, the van, the back of the van opens and they, they get out with their shields and truncheons um, and drag you off to jail. It is serious. And this is the beginning of of the church pretty much it, everything depended on these apostles in these early days you know they're highlighted their ministry is highlighted the, the preaching and the miracles it's it's the apostles it, it's the apostles who are preaching the good news uh, it's the apostles who are performing the miracles and now they've been captured the whole christian movement right at its very beginning was under serious threat at this point the high priests knew that because that's why they arrested them. They knew the apostles were key people. But just as things look bad, you know, our leaders, our, the, the miracle workers, the preachers who have seen the thousands come in, the, the ones who have led us into being so generous and loving and giving to one another, they've just been arrested. It could happen to them what happened to Jesus, couldn't it? You've got to imagine the situation when we look back 2,000-odd years to what's going on. So things are looking really bad, and then God plays his first trump card. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. An angel! <laughs> that's a miraculous intervention, I think. That's a fair definition of that. The apostles were set free. Now, what did they do? They went home, locked the doors, and kept their head down for a few months. No, they didn't, did they? Right? They continued preaching the gospel as they'd been instructed. Right? It would have been great to have been there that next morning when the priest sent for Peter and the apostles weren't even there, wouldn't it? Right? You know, and then when somebody, in verse 25, when we read that, someone came and said, look, those men you put in jail, they're in the temple courts preaching the gospel again. The very thing that the high priests wanted to stop the angel made sure would happen. They don't want them preaching anymore. We don't want this, this Jesus proclaimed. Look at the impact it's having. So we're going to arrest them. But God is in complete control. Do you believe that? Because it's true today. Because he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is in complete control. It may not even seem it. Maybe when they were dragged off to prison, people would have think, oh, I thought God was in control. It's all gone wrong. Look what's happened now. Right? But God is in complete control. He plays that card of miraculous intervention. The God who did that miracle all those years ago, he hasn't changed, has he? He hasn't. 
He's still the same today. If we had the time, I would get a little bit of testimony of miraculous intervention in your life or in the life of your family or the communities you, you come from. We can give loads of stories. In fact, let me encourage you. When you go to your Connect group during the week, what do you mean you don't go to Connect group? Find a Connect group and go. And when you go, share some stories to encourage one another of God's miraculous intervention. Because I know in this room there are loads. Because he's good at that. He's good at intervening miraculously. So share the stories. Share the stories about what God has done for you. But you know what? It's one thing for God to intervene miraculously like he did. But it's another thing for the apostles to go back to the temple and preach again after they'd been arrested. You know, you could, you could legitimately say, man, that was a great miracle, weren't it? Did you see the way that angel just opened them locked doors and he come and he took us out and locked the doors behind us? Let's do a video. Yeah, we can share this on social media. This is a fantastic story. I, I reckon we could write a book about it. You know, we could bask in the glory of the miraculous intervention or we could be obedient. That miraculous intervention was for a reason, wasn't it? It's so they could continue to do what God had called them to do. God's work. That's right. Preaching the gospel, proclaiming Jesus. My point is it doesn't stop with God's intervention. Right? We still have a responsibility as God's people to keep proclaiming the good news regardless of opposition. It's not easy. That's why we need to keep going back to him, isn't it? When we get knocked down, what do we do? We get back up again. And that is the most disconcerting thing for an enemy, isn't it? When he punches you, when he gives you his best shot, the one he knows knocks people out, and you get back up again. Oh. Oh. That's what we need to do, isn't it? When it goes wrong, when it's painful, when it hurts, when it causes you to cry, you can wipe your eyes and you can get back up again and you can go and preach it again and proclaim the love and show the love and teach the love that we've already heard about this morning. That's defeating the enemy, that is. That's coming against our enemy, Satan, who doesn't want any good to come to us. And that's one way we can hurt him back. So that's miraculous intervention. The narrative continues in verse 27. Let's move the slide on, shall we? And then we can read the next bit. Here we go. Well done. There it is, verse 27 is up there. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I think they've got the up. Peter and the other apostles replied, listen to this. We must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors, it continues in verse 30, raised Jesus from the dead, who you killed 
by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who God has given to those who obey him. My second point, my second trump card, if you like, is, is a long way from miraculous intervention, but still just as important. Christian conviction. I've, I've tried to alliterate all these points, and I've failed miserably, so I'll give up. I'm sorry. I didn't have time, but this one worked. Christian conviction. Right. So despite the miraculous intervention, the religious leaders don't give up. Stupid, really. Right. The apostles are arrested again, although this time very gently and subtly, but they're still arrested. And they're taken before that ruling council, the Sanhedrin, which had huge power. We can't underestimate that. And the high priest speaks to them. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. This is the authority saying, look, we told you not to do this. Imagine how angry he was. Yet you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You put yourself in the apostles' shoes just for a moment. They're not superheroes, are they? They're ordinary human beings like you and me. And only weeks earlier, in the time before Jesus had risen you know Jesus Jesus was dead wasn't he their their leader had been crucified and buried and before he had come resurrected from the dead how did they feel then they must have been petrified you know the next knock on their front door could have been could have been for them to take them away maybe even crucify them too and now here they are in front of the Sanhedrin who's the same People who had recently handed Jesus over to be crucified, remember? They must have realized that their lives were on the line. It must have been tempting to give up, to go quiet. To, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get your point. I'm, I'm, I'll go on. But verse 29 says what Peter and the other apostles said. We must obey God rather than men. Huge statement, that is, isn't it? When you think of your workplace, when you think of the people where, where you hang out and the things they say about Jesus, where the things they say, and the, and the legislation that they try and put in place, maybe just legislation within your workplace. No, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus here. It could get you sacked. People, oh, sorry. I won't say nothing. Do we obey God or do we obey men? Now, obviously, we need wisdom and we, we, we need his guidance. But listen, obey God rather than man. And this is, this is God's second trump card for the enemy here. He's, the, yes, the miraculous intervention, but also the, the conviction of the believers, the, 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 their solid, firm belief in the authority of God. The enemy has been trumped again in this passage we're reading, this time just by the conviction of those believers. Say, just, it's a huge thing. The apostles were so convinced of the gospel that they couldn't keep quiet despite the threats. And you think, well, they're, they're apostles, they would be like that. You know, they're leaders and they're wise and they're anointed of God. I can understand them doing that, but I'm just an ordinary bod in the pew. Well, stay around, because in a few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 
and you see how the ordinary believers are without the apostles. There's a little bit of a heads up. Maybe you should be reading those next chapters. So the question is about authority. The question is about authority. Again, the enemy has been trumped. Again, the apostles have spoken it out. And they, they go on to explain, I mean, again, with great boldness, they go on to explain the high priest, the, to the high priest the reason for their conviction. The God of our fathers, and he meant their fathers as well, because that's what you've got to understand. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, who you killed. I mean, how provocative is that? They're, just, they're speaking to the authority. The God who, of our fathers, who raised Jesus from the dead, the miraculous, the resurrection, they, he did that because you killed him. They had such a choice. Obey human authority. And this human authority had real power. You've got to remember that. Right through this narrative, you have to put yourself there, don't you? Understand a little bit. That human authority, that Sanhedrin, those ruling priests and the ruling classes had real power to arrest, imprison, and kill. Or you stick with Jesus and continue to obey him. That's what Peter goes on to speak about. He said in verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand, talking about Jesus, as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Whose authority do you submit to? It's a challenge, isn't it? And I can think of situations where I think, I don't want to tell them. I don't. It's going to be difficult and painful and hard. Think, whose authority am I going to submit to? Jesus is the promised king. Isn't he? Jesus is our king. Who? He's the king who will save his people and offers forgiveness to anyone who would accept him. So the challenge for the high priest in this passage and for you, if you don't already trust in Jesus, is will you accept Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? It's already been alluded to this morning. Will you accept him? Do you want to be on Jesus' side? Because if you're not for him, you're against him. There's no neutral ground. There's no sitting on a fence. It's a massive challenge, isn't it? But if you're not a believer, a follower of Jesus in here today, please think seriously. And if God is speaking to you and challenging you, then come and speak to, well, you're welcome to come and speak to me or speak to someone you know here. But don't just leave it. Don't be apathetic about it. Don't be, oh, don't worry, I'll sort that out another time. This is, this is life and death, literally, isn't it? Whose authority do you submit to? God has raised this Jesus from the dead. God exalted Jesus as saviour. God sent the Holy Spirit to his people. The apostles believed this so deeply that nothing would stop them proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Whatever the circumstances. And down through the years, Christians have been strengthened 
with the same convictions. And you can read your history books and even accounts and testimony from around the world today of people who will literally lay down their lives for Jesus because they're not going to deny him. It's big stuff, isn't it? We have today relatively easy lives compared to what those apostles faced. Yet even in the face of slight disapproval, we can be tempted to give up. Well, I don't like those Christians. Well, I'm going to shut up then. Can you see? There's a strength and a robust understanding of who they were and, who, and more importantly, who Christ is in those guys. And the challenge from this passage for us, I believe, is to continue to speak up for Jesus. Even when it's hard. Even when it's scary. Even when we don't feel like it. We should be prepared in season and out of season. It's important for us to make sure that we are deeply rooted in Christian truth. And that's what keeps us going. Especially when things are getting tough. Because it's not about us, is it? It's about him. That's why, when, that's why you, people encourage one another to read the Bible. How do you know Christian truth? Well, I'll get a little bit for half an hour on a Sunday morning. <sighs> that ain't enough, is it? Let's get, let's get into our Bibles. Let, there's, there'll be loads of stuff in there you don't get and you don't understand. Go and ask someone who's been reading it a little bit longer than you. They might help you. But there'll be plenty in there which you do get. Because it's living and active and God speaks. It's a love letter from the creator of all things to us. It's not a textbook. It's not a work of fiction. It's, in fact, the Bible is a library of, of literature, all of which will speak to us and all of which will change us as we feed on it. There's a challenge. So the story continues. The third point, there it is, verse 33, is up on the screen. Oh, let me read to verse, I think I'll read to verse 40 for now. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. This is the, this is the ruling council. This is the Sanhedrin. They've been challenged. You killed Jesus. Right? They were furious and they wanted to put him to death. I said that threat was real and it, here it is. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council, and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So in the midst of their trial, he's told them to go out. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. 
his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, and this, this bit just is mind-blowing, really. Because it, just in, a, in one phrase, it says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. The, the flogging that they received was probably the 40 lashes minus one. Generally speaking, 40 would probably kill you. They received a wicked lashing which would have ripped their backs apart which would have marked them out, stigmatized them, literally marked them out, as criminals. They would have physically have been properly damaged by this flogging. And just here in Scripture, it says four words, and had them flogged. It's not easy being a Christian, is it? Who wants flogging? I don't. I've said it before, I'm built for comfort, not speed now. I want an easy life. Mate, <laughs> I, <laughs> I do know that as well, actually. Sharon said there's more to come. There is. I believe it. There's more to come for all of us. Is there flogging due for us? I pray God there ain't. But I also pray God give me the grace to cope for whatever the 21st century London equivalent is. Because I want to keep preaching the gospel until my last breath. I want to keep proclaiming Jesus to people until this whole place is born again. It's so essential, isn't it? So he concludes his history lesson by saying, I advise you, leave these men alone. This is Gamaliel. Let them go. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. He wins the day with that argument. My, this is my third point, is God's third trump card, if you like, in this combat, is even unbelievers can be used by God. He will use unbelievers to support the promotion of the gospel. And again, I reckon you can talk about things like that yourselves. You can, you can think, yeah, that happened to me at work. Or, you know, there, uh, there, there's, a couple, there's a couple we know who have, who have gone over to um, the Mediterranean, to a nominally Muslim country, um, a couple from this church. And I just heard this last week, I got a, a really excited text from them that... Um, because they want to, they want to establish their gathering, their fellowship as a le legal entity in that nominally Muslim area, um, to be, like, essentially registered as a charity. And they was having a conversation with um, a local official, and said, "Look, we want, we want to do this thing properly, and we want to be an effective community reaching out to, to local people. But we want to keep our our own national identity and our." religious values as Christians. But we, we want to do this and we want to do that. And this, this person in authority who's taken them through this legal process said, that's fantastic, we want more people like you. And you just think about it for a little bit. That this, in this nominal Muslim land, where you still hear the call to prayer five times a day, the official is saying, we want more people like you Christians bringing what you do to us. 
and they're going through that process right now to be officially recognized in that land. So good, isn't it? Unbelievers are used of God to promote the gospel. Three trump cards, miraculous intervention, Christian conviction and support from unbelievers. I told you I couldn't alliterate nothing with it. But, but three fantastic ways where God intervenes, isn't it? But he still uses us. He still needs us to do it. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, verse 41, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Even that, rejoicing after they'd been beaten to within an inch of their life. Rejoicing after they'd been in court and in prison. Why? Because they had suffered for Jesus. It, it is, it, I find it mind-blowing. I find it so challenging that this would happen. You know, these men are in real danger of getting killed, jail, every, all the stuff. And what do they do when they're released? They rejoice. They rejoice. And then, what do they do? Verse 42. I don't know if it's up there or not, is it? I can't, there it is. Then... I mean, their, their backs are lashed open. I don't know what the time scale is between getting beat, beaten half to death and getting out there again. But it says they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Man alive. Maybe they'd remembered those words of Jesus on the sermon, at the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, I don't want to be persecuted, but by the grace of God, if it comes my way, I want to rejoice. And it's sobering, and it's easy to stand up here and uh, read bits of the Bible, but this is real to our lives when we go out those doors, isn't it? We take this with us into our communities and into our workplaces. Despite the enemy's best efforts of stopping the spread of the gospel, they haven't worked. Right? God is at work and he's achieving his plan for spreading the gospel. Even today, even in this place, we must remember God is in control. And he's determined that the gospel continues to be heard. Maybe you've been tempted to give up. Maybe in your workplace it is particularly difficult and, and everything's against you from your colleagues to the HR directives. Right? It's true some places. The gospel will find a way. And as you seek him and as you step out with boldness and with wisdom, the gospel will be out. You will be able to proclaim it. You will be able to declare it. Because he is an unchanging, eternal God who defends us, who protects us, who enables us to keep going and proclaiming this message. He's not passive, is he? We know he's not. right? He's active on our behalf. He's the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Right? He exalted him as prince, as leader, and as saviour. He's the same God who gives us his Holy Spirit. 
to, to strengthen us and enable us to do this very thing. He's with us always. Again, we've heard that this morning. He's with us always. As we go back to our office or our, our, our building site as we, or, or the school or, or the block you live in, wherever it is that God has called us to be, he is with us and he will make a way. So guys, let's be bold in telling people about Jesus and confident that God is in control. He will intervene miraculously. We've got to live a life of Christian conviction, haven't we? Right? And he will even use the unbelievers in your place of work if need be. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray. I'd love to pray for us as City Hope. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us every moment of every day, whether we're together or apart. We thank you that you promise to never leave us or forsake us. When we go off to our workplace and to our, our homes, you are there with us. You give us all we need in, the terms of, in, in terms of spiritual gifts and fruit. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to those around us. And I pray... Oh, that's spooky. I pray, Lord, that you would give us everything we need day by day to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Put words in our mouth where we were silent before. Lord, where we didn't act, let us show acts of love and kindness. Lord, let us be proactive with the gospel because we want to see people saved and we want to see people saved because you want it more. And we want to love you and be obedient to you. So stir City Hope, Jesus. Stir us to a new way. Stir us to a new chapter and a new phase that we would see the multitudes come to know Christ. I pray all that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.